Thank you. Be seated. Well, a few weeks ago, in conjunction with the History Channel's release of the miniseries, The Bible, we've been talking and we've been kind of focusing on some of the weekly episodes. And kind of their mantra as they advertise this and market it was, experience the Bible like never before. Now, I realize a lot of you are saying with me, yeah, I'm experiencing it like I never have before because there's a lot of inaccuracies that are on the, on the program. And we understand that. And when we as a staff decided that we were going to go with this particular format for the month of March, we understood that that could happen because Hollywood tends to get it wrong or they get over creative and all that. And so there's a lot of inaccuracies. In fact, if you come early to the service, I've got a list of the week's inaccuracies looping. And you can see what the Bible really said about some of the things. And so we understand that there's some inaccuracies that are being shown in the, in the miniseries. But understand this, that's okay. Because that reminds us why it is so important for us to read the Bible for ourselves. So that we know what God actually said, and we know what God actually did. And that's why it's important for us then to take that knowledge to our unchurched friends and say, you know, that was a pretty sensational episode, and that that particular uh, series and, and that particular story that they portrayed was really in the Bible, but let me tell you how it really happened. And see, we remind people that they can't depend on the world to accurately portray who God is. They can't depend on the entertainment business. We have to go to God's word himself because God has revealed to us in his word that collection of manuscripts that we call the Bible. God has revealed everything we need to know about him and everything we need to know about eternal life with him through faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross. Now this week, we're going to look at some episodes, and I'm believing just from the previews that I've seen, that we're going to look at three stories this week, beginning tonight, that come from a very important Old Testament book. It's a book of prophecy. It's called the book of Daniel because it was written by a Hebrew prophet named Daniel. And it's a very important book in the Old Testament. If you want to open your Bibles to that book this morning, you'll find it kind of past the halfway point of your Bible following a very large book called the book of Ezekiel. So you find a book of Ezekiel after Psalms, you're going to see some prophets and you're going to finally get to Ezekiel. And right after that book is the book of Daniel. And I think that the the best way to introduce this Series And what we're going to be looking at this week is to read that first chapter because it will give you the background for what is happening and what you're going to see and what sets the stage for the stories that the Bible miniseries is going to cover in the beginning of this week's coverage. So let me read it with you and you can follow along either in your Bible or on the screens. Beginning in verse 1, Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. The Bible declares, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, 
chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of it. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables and said, I got to think that didn't make them very popular, you know. But going on, the point of of the passage, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters of his whole kingdom. And with that background staged, this morning we're going to watch these four men on their journey from victim to victor. Jewish people are forced into exile, a 500-mile journey east to Babylon. Zedekiah is the last of King David's descendants to reign. The Israelite monarchy ends here. Jeremiah is one of the few to escape. He heads to Egypt, never to return. Moving. 
people have lost their prophet, their city, and their king. The Jewish nation needs a different kind of leader to survive in Babylon. A man like Daniel. Daniel has visionary powers and is forced to work in Nebuchadnezzar's court. Has no one anything to tell me? Can you not even describe my dream? Silence is no answer. You're supposed to be wise men. Sorcerers. Seers. So what do you see? Sire. Forgive me. No one here can read your mind. Then what use are any of you? My God can. He has shown me your dream. Then you will be able to tell it to me. Every detail. You saw a giant statue of a man. Its head made of gold. Then a giant stone struck the statue, smashing it to pieces. I know that much! What does it mean? The statue represents the empires that will follow yours. Yours is the greatest. The head of gold. And the stone that destroys the statue. That is the kingdom of God. In the future, God will reign over all the world. Forever. Destroyed by God? Yes, sire. What's your name? Daniel. You're a brave man, Daniel. I value that. You will serve me. The first to go on the journey from victim to victor was Daniel himself. All of them who were Jewish in the land of Babylonia were victims. Their homeland had been overthrown. Nebuchadnezzar totally demolished the city of Jerusalem, tore down the temple. The Jews were scattered among the known world. And Daniel, being part of the, of the nobility of the land, and others were brought to be raised by Nebuchadnezzar, as we saw in chapter 1 of the book of Daniel. And chapter 1 
said of Daniel that he was able, God had given him the ability to interpret dreams. Now, the clip that we just saw is somewhat accurate, but it's not totally accurate. What really happened was that Nebuchadnezzar had this dream, and it troubled him greatly. And so he called for all his Babylonian magicians and enchanters and astrologers, and and he asked them not just to interpret the dream, because he knew that they were kind of con artists. So he said, you must not just interpret my dream, you have to tell me what my dream was. And if you can't, I'm going to kill every single one of you and your families. Of course, they tried to reason with Nebuchadnezzar, and they said, no one can do that. No, no one can tell you what your dream, tell us your dream, and we can interpret for you. But he insisted that he would not be tricked by them, and he said, no, you have to tell me the dream. Of course, none of them could do it. And he actually issued the decree for all the wise men in the land of Babylonia to be executed, including Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When the chief official came from, from, from Nebuchadnezzar and announced what was going to happen, Daniel said, what's going on? Why is the king so upset? Why is he so angry? Why would he issue such a harsh decree? And they told him. And so he and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego prayed to God, and they asked God to intervene. And God then allowed Daniel to understand what the dream was. So he went to Nebuchadnezzar. And as it portrayed, he said, no one is able to do what you're asking, but my God has given me the power. And he then interpreted the dream, the dream of the the statue with the head of gold and shoulders and chest of silver and torso of bronze and legs of iron. And they did represent four kingdoms that would succeed. Nebuchadnezzar was the head of gold. And as we know historically, the silver represented the Medo-Persian Empire. And the bronze, the torso, was Greece. And the iron legs were Rome. And we know that it was Jesus, that rock that came and knocked all the kingdoms down and changed the world forever. What this doesn't show is at the end of Daniel interpreting and the dream and sharing the dream, is Nebuchadnezzar kind of you know, looks at him and says, well, you know, kind of a thing, well, I'm going to keep my eye on you. When in reality... Because Daniel was able to interpret the dream and reveal the dream. The Bible says that Nebuchadnezzar bowed down before Daniel. And he said to his chief officials, bring in a robe. And they put a special robe on Daniel. And Daniel, much like Joseph was in in Egypt, immediately assumed second command in the kingdom of Babylonia. And... Nebuchadnezzar appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be just under him. And so now they went from victims to victors now having tremendous influence over the entire kingdom of Babylonia. But you know, Satan's never satisfied, is he? And so Satan begins to sow discard. Remember now. The response of the native Babylonian magicians and chanters and astrologers was was kind of a double-minded response. First, they were glad they were still alive. They were glad Daniel was able to come forward and save their lives. But at the same time, they had a growing jealousy of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because of their influence in the kingdom of Babylonia. So it wasn't too long before King Nebuchadnezzar, who always had an inflated image of himself, 
decided to to create a 90-foot statue. And he made a decree that whenever people day or night heard the musicians of the city playing the different instruments, that they were required to stop whatever they were doing, face that statue, and bow down and pray to it. Well, the decree went out, the statue was built, and people began to worship that statue, but not everyone. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to do it. And the Babylonian magicians and enchanters saw their opportunity to get rid of these meddlesome Jews. And so they went to Nebuchadnezzar, and they said, Nebuchadnezzar, O king, did you not issue a decree that everyone, when they heard the music musicians playing, that they would bow and worship that statue? And Nebuchadnezzar said, yes. And he said, and those who won't would be thrown into a fiery furnace. And of course, with great glee in their heart, they said to Nebuchadnezzar, well, not everyone's doing it. Those Jews... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refuse. And so King Nebuchadnezzar had them brought before him. And he challenged them. And they boldly declared to Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves in this, for our God will save us from your fiery furnace. And if he doesn't, we still will not bow to that false God. In his fury, Nebuchadnezzar has the furnace heated to seven times hotter than it had ever been heated before. He binds Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he takes some of his his elite soldiers, his strongest and most capable soldiers, and he commands them to throw those three Jewish men into the furnace that had been heated seven times hotter than ever before. And the, the Bible reveals that so hot was that furnace that the soldiers who threw them in perished outside the furnace from the heat of that furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar and The Babylonian enchanters and magicians looked to listen for the Jews screaming but being burned alive, to watch their flesh burn off their bones. And yet, he marveled. He said, wait, didn't we put three men into the furnace? He said, but I see four walking around. And the fourth one looks like the Son of God. Ultimately, Nebuchadnezzar beckons them to come out. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are the only ones that come out. But get this, the Bible reveals they come out and they're not burned in any way. They're not singed in any way. They don't even have the smell of smoke on them. And once again, Nebuchadnezzar humbles himself momentarily and declares that there is no God like the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Again, from victims of jealousy, from victims of rage to victors, and they were 
put in their positions and promote it yet again in the kingdom of Babylon. In Daniel chapter 5, we would discover that Nebuchadnezzar has died and a new king, Belshazzar, is king. And in a very exciting story that we don't have time to share, Babylonia is overthrown by the Medes and the Persians. And now, a new king rules over the land of Babylonia, and his name is Darius, the Persian, the Mede. Well, God allows these four men to find favor in his court also. And it says that Daniel rises up in the, in the Persian Empire now, who are now the occupiers of Babylonians and, and the taskmasters of the Jews who are in exile from their own land. But again, now the Persian enchanters and magicians get jealous of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and especially Daniel. And so they look for some way to discredit him between, before Darius. And, and they, they, they look and they can't find anything because he's totally upright and honest and has integrity. And so they create a scheme to get rid of him. And they go to Darius and they just, they just tell him what a wonderful king he is. Oh, how amazing you are. And said, you know what, king? You should issue a decree that for the next 30 days, that anyone who prays to anyone but you should be thrown into the lion's den. Darius thought that sounded pretty good. Because remember, in this days, it was not uncommon at all, even through the Roman Empire, for the kings, the emperors, to think of themselves as divinely appointed and even as God's. And they further went and said, and, and let this be written in the laws of the Mede and the Persians. See, they were really clever. Because they understood that in that, that system, that judicial system of Persia, if a king made a decree and signed it according to the laws of the Medes and the Persian, it was irrevocable. They could not revoke it. Not even the king could change it. It had to be done. And so he signs the verdict for 30 days. No one can pray to anyone but him. Well, if you're a student of the Bible or you went to Sunday school as a child or maybe you even heard the story or the idea of Daniel in the line dance, you know that Daniel refused to do it. And that's exactly what the Persian magicians and enchanters believed would happen. And so they quickly brought him before Darius. Darius was troubled. And, and, and he kind of got it. He kind of got that he had been hoodwinked. And, and he respected Daniel. And, and, and he, he respected the influence and the positive nature and impact that Daniel had on the Persian Empire. And he really didn't want to kill Daniel, but he had sealed it with the laws of the Medes and the Persians. So they took Daniel to the lion's den and they threw him in the lion's den and they rolled a stone over the entrance so there could be no escape. And the Bible says that all night long, Darius couldn't sleep. He tossed and turned all night. He had no rest, no peace. And as soon as the sun broke the horizon, Darius and his officials, they went down to the lion's den and they rolled the stone away. And Darius himself yelled into the pit, Daniel, 
Has your God saved you? Daniel. And from the darkness of the pit, he heard Daniel's voice say, Yes, O king. My God sent an angel who stayed the mouths of the lions. I am not harmed. Well, Darius was excited, and he took Daniel out. And he was so infuriated at these men who had conned him, who had tricked them, that he had them and every one of their family members thrown into the lion's den. And the Bible records that before their bodies hit the dirt, the lions had pounced on them and began ripping them to shreds. And Daniel, again, went from victim to victor. Because God was greater than his circumstances. In each case, these four men went from victims to victors. Now, what are we going to do with this? Are we just going to enjoy three sensational stories from the Bible this morning? Or do these stories that happened thousands of years ago teach us anything today? Well, if you understand anything about the Bible, and even if you don't understand this, the Bible in its application is timeless. It's not just for the period of that time. It's for all time. And there's three very important lessons that I think we can take home from these three amazing biblical events in the book of Daniel. The first is that we can expect great things from God. Expect great things from God. Each one of these men in their circumstances expected great things from God. Daniel, who is now a slave, he's brought into the land of Babylonia, going up to the king's official saying, I don't think I'm going to eat the food the king wants me to eat. Are you kidding But he was expecting that his God would do something great because of his faithfulness to the Jewitary laws of diet and eating. Later, he expected that God would reveal not only the interpretation to to Nebuchadnezzar's dream, but the dream itself. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego expected that somehow that God was going to deliver them from this injustice situation. Daniel believed that somehow God would intervene on his part when he was faced with being thrown into the lion's den. Expect great things from God. You know, so is there a different God today than the God of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Is God less capable today? Is God less powerful today? Have you ever asked the question, why don't we we see these amazing manifestations from God in our day? Well, I think we need to start asking ourselves, is it God or is it us? See, because there's a second part to this formula about expect great things from God. The second part is attempt great things for God. Every one of these young men 
went from victim to victors, not through their own powers, not through their own eloquence of speech and power of persuasion, but because God did a great thing in their life. But God couldn't do a great thing in their life until they attempted something great for God. Daniel, at the threat of his life, as, as, a, as probably a very young man, possibly even a teenager, defied the king's order to eat the food that was outside the dietary laws of the law of Moses. And he could have been killed for that. You arrogant little Jew, off with your head. Daniel went before a king who had already issued a decree for all the wise men in Babylonia to be executed. And he went and he attempted. He went before that king, trusting God to do something great. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they defied the king at the threat of their very lives. And there was no getting out of it. They were going into the furnace, and they knew it. Daniel and the lions said the same thing. William Carey first coined this phrase. William Carey is thought today as the, modern, as the father of modern missions. He was a missionary to India in the 1700s. And even back then, he recognized where culture was going. And he recognized that we were no longer seeing the greatness of God because we were no longer attempting great things for God. As I thought about it, in my life, and I thought about it in the, our lives as believers today, I thought, you know, could it be that we're robbing ourselves of experiencing the greatness of God who is still omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient? Because we fail to attempt great things for God. And I thought, when was the last time that I got out of my comfort zone to attempt something great for God, something illogical, something unimaginable. I wonder how many of us have slipped into that cocoon of Christian comfort. It feels good. It's safe. Jesus didn't call us to a life that feels good and safe. Jesus said, you got to take up your cross and follow me. And just think of the opportunity before us if we get this, that as the Holy Spirit leads us, and right now, maybe some of you can identify with this thought, that the Holy Spirit has been talking to you. The Holy Spirit, you've been sensing that God is taking you to a new place that may be illogical, or maybe it's going to take a risk to go there. And, and we kind of, today, we, we kind of shrink back and we resist it because we're afraid and we don't want to leave the comfort of the king's table. Maybe it's, God has been challenging you to take one of these mission trips with one of our mission teams. To go to a foreign country and to study and prepare and, and take the gospel light to some place in the world that needs that light. And you'll be thinking, no, I, I could never do that, or I don't have the time to do that. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. Maybe it's God has been kind of talking to you about serving in a ministry. 
here somewhere at the church or, 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 or reaching out for some cause and you've been going, I, I just don't have time and I don't think I'm the right person. I can't do that. But God says, expect great things from me, but attempt great things for me. Maybe it's the, this whole idea of tithing and giving 10% and, 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 and that you say, oh, I, 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 I can never do. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. Oh, listen, God's still alive. And God's still powerful. And God still is willing and ready to reveal his majesty, his glory in our lives. But we got to take the first step. we got to take a step in a direction that sometimes makes no sense. We have to take the first step sometimes in a direction. That seems a little risky outside of our comfort zone. But that's exactly when God reveals his greatness. Another lesson we can learn is that hard times hit godly people too. Hard times hit godly people. Somehow in, in the comfort of our, our Christian life, somehow we, we have falsely kind of embrace this idea that because we've trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior, that everything in our life should go beautifully. But Jesus never said that. Again, Jesus said the exact opposite. Jesus said, if you follow me, it's going to be a rough road. And every one of these guys were godly. They were the cream of the crop. They weren't just four young Jewish men who were exiled to Babylonia. They were four among hundreds, maybe thousands. They, they were the cream of the crop. They were the ones that God was able to bring to the, to the very top of all of the, of the exiled Jews and to entrust them with power over a foreign nation. They were the most godly. And yet Daniel had to stand before a king who had already issued a decree that he would be executed. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... They were godly. They were doing what God had commanded. They were doing right. And their righteousness got them bound and being thrown in a furnace that was heated seven times hotter than it ever had before. Daniel was standing right for God. And yet his righteousness was rewarded with a trip to the lion's den. Oh, listen, hard times hit godly people too. And it's, it's not just an Old Testament experience. Peter, one of Jesus' original disciples and, and the most outspoken and bold of them all, revealed to us in his, his New Testament manuscript that we call First Peter. He says in First Peter 4.12 to believers, people like you and me, to people of the 21st century. He says, dear friends, 1 Peter 4.12, do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you. You know, he said, you know, is your life all upside down right now? Is your life characterized right now by pain and, and uncertainty and, and, and indirection and confusion and hurt and insecurity? He said, well, don't think that something strange has happened to you. 
What do you think? What do you say? Oh God, why me? Why me? Oh God, why not you? Why not me? That's what he's saying. He goes on to say in the next verse, verse 13, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. You know, Daniel had to go before the king's uh, uh, official and refuse to eat the food. And then he had to go before Nebuchadnezzar. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to go into the, into the fiery furnace. And Daniel went in the lion's den. But when God took them on the journey from victim to victor, everything changed. Now they were exalted. Now they had positions of power. Now they were wealthy beyond their, their, their imagination. They shared in God's glory and what God could do. And their lives finally were characterized by power of God, by the protection of God, by the provision of God. And see, we, although we suffer, it's in our times of suffering that we remain faithful to God, that God one day will allow us to share in Christ's ultimate glory and we will be overjoyed and we'll look back at all the hard times we've gone through and say, that was nothing. And so he encourages us in verse 19. So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Listen, maybe you're here today and hard times have hit you. Well, what's God's message to you this morning? This is his message to you. He's saying, just keep trusting in me. I created you. I know everything about you. I know who you are. I know what your hard times are. I haven't turned my back on you. And then he said what? He says, just keep doing good. Whether you feel like it, whether you feel like you have the physical energy, the emotional energy, the spiritual energy, just keep doing good. Just keep praising him with all your heart. Just keep praying to him and thanking him for what you still have. Just keep reading his word and not just blowing through it, but reading it and digesting it as his book of love. Final lesson. Ready yourself in the good times. Ready yourself in the good times. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't wait till they were confronted with the crisis to try to get tight with God. They had already been living a life of righteous behavior, of righteous dedication, of genuine love and adoration of God Jehovah. And so when the trial came, they were ready to face it. See, so often we take the opposite approach and we get in the good times, oh man, things are good, and, and we're just going, and, and, and oh, okay, God, you know, I, I don't need you right now, I'm doing okay. You know, God, you go help someone who's having a hard time right now, I, I, I'm just fine. And what do we do? We kind of get lazy and lackadaisical in our relationship with God. But then the storm hits, then the trial comes, and then we go running to God. But Here's what human response is experienced. Although God's still there, we aren't secure that he's there. Because we haven't been loving him with all our hearts, all our minds, all our soul, and all our strength. 
And now when we go to God in that moment of, of trial, in that moment of need, now we don't stand before him having lived a righteous life. Now we don't stand before him having been engaged in sincere adoration to him. And now from our perspective, our confidence is replaced with guilt and shame and insecurity. And we just say, God, I, I know I haven't been living for you. God, I know I've, I've neglected you. God, I know. But God, just this one more time, could you possibly? God, just, just this time, I really need you. God, could you? Instead of expecting great things from God. Now we're expecting that God's going to abandon us. Why? Because we haven't lived a life of readiness. If you're in a good time right now, this is not the time to get lackadaisical in your relationship with God. This is the time to beef it up. This is the time to get strong. This is the time to keep the full armor of God on that we talked about. This is the time to be in more prayer. This is the time to be in more Bible reading. Because when, not if, when the next hard time comes, you'll be ready to face it with faith and security and confidence that God is about to do a great thing in my life. Jesus himself said, Matthew 7, 24 and 25. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. Jesus is that rock. And you and, and me were that house. And if our life is built on the, the pursuit of of materialism, if our life is built on the pursuit of our own desires and our own pleasures and, and everything about us, and if we embrace this narcissistic attitude that is prevailing through our culture today, of me, 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 then when the storms come, our house is going to crumble. We'll crumble emotionally. We'll crumble physically. We'll crumble spiritually. But Jesus said, he who hears my words and puts them into practice. When the storm comes, his house will be strong. How about you? You're on your journey. Will you be a victim or a victor? Let's pray. Maybe you're here today. And this message, and God is speaking to you in some way. And you're a believer today. You've trusted Christ. God is speaking some way to you. Right now, will you surrender to whatever he's talking to you about? Maybe he's asking you to attempt something great for him, something illogical, something that, that takes you out of your comfort zone. But will you say today, God, I'm going to be like Daniel. I'm going to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God, I don't know how it's all going to turn out, but I'm trusting you. Maybe you're going through hard times this morning. And Satan's trying to convince you that God has abandoned you. He hasn't. Hard times fall on godly people too. And so today, maybe in your own individual prayer, will you just say to your creator, God, I still love you. I still trust you even though things aren't going right in my life right now. And God, I'm going to determine today I'm going to still do good. I'm going to still just keep on keeping on for you. Or maybe you're in the good time right now.
And maybe the Holy Spirit is emphasizing and driving home to you that this is the time you need to get tighter with God than you've ever been before. Or maybe you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You've never allowed Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross to impact your eternal destiny. You're still hoping that somehow you're a good enough man or you're a good enough woman that God's going to invite you into his kingdom. But I tell you, not on my authority, not on the authority of Florida Bible Church, but on the authority of the word of God that no man, no woman is getting to heaven because of their goodness. There's only one way. John 3.16 tells us the way. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's the only way. Whatever your call is today, whatever your need is today, surrender to it. God, thank you for your word. And thank you for the testimony of these three or four bold Hebrew men hundreds and hundreds of years ago. But yet their boldness and their their life lessons transcend time. Today, they encourage us to expect great things from you when we attempt great things for you. They remind us that hard times fall on godly people too. And they beckon us to ready ourselves in the good times. God, we give ourselves to you afresh this day. Use us for your glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.